How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Welcome, everyone, to Stephanie and Stephanie Talk Tunes. I'm Stephanie Pena. I'm Stephanie Myers. What's up, Talk Tuners? So happy to be here today. We have a great show for you, as always. Thanks for coming in and uh, checking us out for the first time. If you are a newcomer, we really appreciate it. Uh, we start off every episode with something music-centric related. And uh, Stephanie, you were telling me briefly uh, before we came on that you saw a New Orleans Jazz Fest documentary. Uh, tell me more. I did. It's called Jazz Fest in New Orleans Story. It was just a really great music documentary. Talk tuners, if you listen to this regularly, you know I love my music documentaries. This mm-hmm. one was totally fantastic. I saw one actually on New Orleans earlier this year as well called uh, Take Me to the River. And that is also worth watching. But this one talks about the 50th anniversary of Jazz mm-hmm. Fest. And it was absolutely fascinating. Talks to everyone from uh, Pitbull um, <laughs> down to these jazz legends. I didn't expect Pitbull there. So that was fascinating. And it's executive produced by Jimmy Buffett, who I did not expect, but who actually has sunk a lot of uh, funds into supporting this fest and others, which didn't wow. see coming. Yeah. Yeah. So right. interesting. Yeah. And just love. Hearing about the history of New Orleans, it's so inextricably, you know, it's tied together so much with music and the history of the city. And so this one gets into how Hurricane Katrina and then COVID impacted both the city and the festival, right? And how it rose up again. And it was fantastic. And it was really just this great underdog story Mm -hmm. in so many ways. So I would really recommend it. On a side note, I saw it on the plane and there's just this cutaway uh, where it shows a flag that says, living the dream. And I thought of you, Penya. (laughs) Thought of you. (laughs) Folks who don't know, this is her freaking slogan. Oh my God. It's my Twitter handle. I'm the OG. Live in the dream. Check it out. Follow me. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Thanks for sharing, Stephanie. Yes, New Orleans. My gosh, 
New Orleans is my muse as well. Um, absolutely love everything about New Orleans. I'll have to check this out. Never been to Jazz Fest myself. Um, however, did go to Voodoo. Um, I've been to cool. Mu Voodoo Music Fest. Yeah, awesome. um, that was great. And a fun fact about um, my past career, uh, you know, used to do events, as you know, Stephanie. But um, did you know that I was actually going to work the Voodoo Fest the year of Hurricane Katrina? I did not know that. God, I don't remember yeah. that at all. Yeah, I had just Whoa. moved to New York. It was like I was there for about a year, I want to say, year-ish. Okay. Um, and I found an opportunity to join the production team, um, definitely very entry level. Um, and I believe it was Rehash Entertainment at the time, and I was chosen. But then Hurricane Katrina came. I mean, awful about, not about me, but, you know, it's just, it's crazy, right? Um, but that would have been a dream come true. New Orleans, y'all, if you guys haven't been in New Orleans, definitely go. Um, there's so much that city offers and music is definitely one of them for sure. That's awesome. Um, you know, speaking of just awesome music in general, of course, we're talking about an amazing uh, band today as we normally do. Today, guys, we're going to go back in time and we're going to talk about The Doors and their hit, People Are Strange. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down. When you're strange, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange, no one remembers your name. When you're strange, when you're strange, when you're strange. We Such all a great song. song. So right? Good. This so is good. like what this is like the best song. So um, all right, guys, the doors are uh gosh, they are legends. Uh how did they form? So the doors began, uh they actually began with a chance meeting between acquaintances at the time, Jim Morrison and Ray Monzeric on Venice Beach in July of 1965. They recognized one another from when they had both attended the UCLA School of Theater, Film, and Television program. Wow. And wow. on Venice Beach, you know? Yeah. Of all places. Venice Beach. Yeah. <laughs> on Venice Beach. <laughs> That's so, that's super cool. So a chance meeting, um, glad they met. <laughs> they, they have, the doors have definitely put out some really solid material and Stephanie, how did they get their name? Yeah, it was an interesting little thing. So they actually got it through the doors of perception, a book mm. by Aldeas Huxley, who did of course, brave new world. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting. There's a getstoryshouts.com had a little more detail on this, but it was about Huxley's first psychedelic experience. It was about his trip on Mescalade, uh, the insights he experienced, the beauty he saw, and how that psychedelic experience had him develop philosophical ideas, psychological mm -hmm. ideas, just around perception. He believed uh, we live in a narrow field of perception. Let's open our minds to a larger experience. Anyway, because of this, Huxley started recommending mescaline to others. So Morrison took that and ran with it. He liked the book and decided yeah. to name the band after that, which is interesting, too, because of the area's 
just spiritually and metaphysically mm-hmm. that the doors cover just in terms of their songs and their songwriting. So it all kind yeah. of connected for me on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, I love me, Mr. Huxley. Brave New World is definitely one of my favorites. I'll have to check this out, this book. Wow. Okay, great. Great, great, great. So uh, people are strange. It seems like there is quite a bit of fun history behind this song. Yeah. So, you know, Jim Morrison was a prolific songwriter. He wrote a lot, but I'm just going to zero in on People Are Strange because it was a really interesting history as we went through it. In this Mm -hmm. case, Jim was depressed. Uh, He was depressed. He went to Robbie Krieger's house. They went to Canyon to watch a sunset. And at that time, Jim realized uh, he was depressed because, quote, if you're strange, people are strange. Took that as his little insight and his line, and then mm-hmm. wrote the rest of this, the lyrics for that song, which were about feeling alienated. Mm-hmm. And it really, I think, holds up as one of their flagship songs. It's yeah. often, you know, you hear it to this day on classic rock stations. It gets a lot of play, and I think that's for a reason. It's definitely classic alongside Light My Fire and others, but it's a really good song, and I think it holds up to this day. And I'm a fan, mm-hmm. and whenever I hear it, I really just think, oh, man, this has really stood the test of time. So Jim, just on the theme of alienation, he really self-medicated with various substances. He was pretty mm-hmm. open about that. And I think that kind of self-medication also existed in a time and context when mental health was not talked about, and it wasn't dealt with, and it was stigmatized in a lot of ways. And so I think his ongoing depression and then how he self-medicated around that was just sadly not uncommon. So I do think yeah. it's kind of a larger thread within his music for sure. Yeah. And something absolutely. I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, as we all know, um, you know, self, you know, self-medicate is definitely something that's still a norm for individuals that are coping with um, some mental health struggles Definitely, um, I'm sure with all of his art, um, because, you know, Jim Morrison was an artist like outside of music. You know, he wrote poetry. He um, I mean, he was in radio, television and film that tells you it right there. So super creative. Right. So I'm sure that he used his art also um, as an outlet um, to help him uh, cope. I mean, it, it just makes complete sense for sure. I totally agree. And I just think about how that art resonated with so many people Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Even the way that the doors have been uh, covered and sampled over the years, the particular covers of People Are Strange, it's been covered over the years by Echo and the Bunnymen, even Tiny Tim, Edward Mm. Furlong, all these, yeah, all these covers, right, exist of this. So I think that's a real testament, right, to how his music and his art connected with folks, which I think Uh says a lot, right? Yeah. Edward Furlong, man, you brought it back, girl. That's awesome. I actually read a couple of weeks ago that he's been sober um, for quite some time and he's still doing music. So Edward Furlong, y'all, that that's a, a childhood star for me and Steph. I mean, he was in Terminator 2. He was in Pet Cemetery 2. And God, he did a movie with Christina Ritchie. He was just all over the place. So that's really cool. I didn't know he covered People Are Strange. That's awesome. Yeah. Just like shows it's like, man, so Jim's connecting after his passing with people across generations, mm-hmm. but also across industries, right? Because he's an actor. Yeah. 
you know, exactly. it's like over here connecting with music. So I thought that was really cool. And then just another way that People Are Strange has kind of uh, stayed on as its own legacy is mm. when I think about how they have uh, a real music video for it. And wow. it was way back in the day. And I, uh, I don't know if I've, I just love music videos and I kind of consider myself like I'm very into the history of mm. them. I just think they're, they capture a moment in time and I love them. And if I could think of myself as like a story of them, I kind of would because I love them so much. So there's been a lot of opinions out there to that end about what's the very first music video, mm -hmm. right? Because music videos were around before MTV came around and right. MTV didn't come around till 1981. But these various promo clips for a number of bands existed way before that. And there were kind mm -hmm. of various names, right? For what these were before then. They didn't really even call them music videos. It's like hmm, right. something, something to play on TV. So there's mm -hmm. uh, in existence what I think would be called as a modern day music video for People Are Strange. It's filmed like as a standalone clip. It's not a concert clip. It's them like mm. outside. And um, that was all the way back in 1967. So I just think about the different ways in which they kind of knew it's like, oh, we have to kind of touch these different forms of media to really touch. Yeah. It kind of goes back to what you're saying about Jim being uh, that artist. Exactly. That just brought that full circle. So yeah, he was going to do his filming techniques. He's like, Hey, listen, I can sing, I can film, you know, let, let, let's capture it all. That's awesome. Oh yeah. So the doors, um, you know, obviously have, uh, you know, made a major influence on people across and they've been in major, uh, movie soundtracks. So one thing that comes to mind for me, um, and you mentioned Stephanie, uh, covers of people are strange is echo and the Bunnymen. That was actually my intro to The Doors, was through this band. Yeah, yeah. So this song appears on uh, Joel Schumacher's 1987 cult classic, The Lost Boys. Um, it's in the opening credits. And it's the entire song. Like, you just don't get, like, literally, you don't get a little snippet. You get the whole song. And that's how it starts. That's how the movie starts. Dun, 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 dun. And I'm like, oh, I love it. Um, it's a perfect song for this movie because if you don't, guys, if you don't know what the Lost Boys is, it's, uh, just put it plainly, it's a movie about social pariahs who happen to be vampires. All right, there you go. Boom. <laughs> and, you know, it's such a good movie. Um, and if you haven't seen it, go watch it today. Definitely one of my favorites. I think I watched it three times at the drive-in and probably a million times on TV. So, um, but yes, that was Echo and the Bunny Man brought that. Um, and I was like, ooh, this is a cool song. And then, you know, figured out it was The Doors. And then, so in 87, you know, definitely very young. Um, well, you know, as time went on in 1995, I was uh, reunited with The Doors music through Jim Carroll's Basketball Diaries, which is a 1995 movie. It's based, um, Jim Carroll is an artist. He's definitely like a Jim Morrison. He's uh, multi-talented. He writes poetry. He, he had his own band. Um, and this particular movie stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Mark Wahlberg, and it's an autobiography of his days um, at, you know, as a young child battling heroin use. Um, he was a, uh, a potential basketball star. And they use the Doors song, Riders on the Storm, in such a profound way in a certain, uh, in a certain scene of this movie 
it just really brought it back. And I was like, okay, now 95 was like when I started digging deep into their, uh, into their discography and their library. Just, I was like, I have to, like, this is so dope. Um, so yeah, um, the doors, man, it's it's good stuff, just good stuff. But of course, you know, there were a band that was always in the limelight. They were out there y'all. So, um, they were out there. Let's just put it that way. So there's definitely a lot of critics who had a thing or two to say about them. Yeah. So folks who know me probably know I'm a big fan of the rock critic Lester Bangs, and I really enjoy going through his essays and his work. But something I was thought was funny, and I think this I think this is funny regardless of what you think of the Doors. I think even Jim would have thought this yeah. was funny. Um, yeah. Lester Bangs had like kind of a love hate relationship with various artists that he enjoyed, including Lou Reed. But Jim Morrison was one of them. And he called him a Bozo Dionysus uh, (laughs) for his just kind of uh, like making fun of his poetry a little bit. Sure. And uh, he quoted, I think his quote was, uh, I always wanted Morrison to be better than he actually was. Like, I wished all of his songs could have had the understated power of say people are strange. Quote, faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. And like many, it was only after being disappointed that I could learn to take the true poetry and terror whenever it could be found and develop an ever-increasing appreciation for the rest of Morrison's work as prime bozo action. <laughs> so, so a lot going on in this quote, but I appreciate this passage too. He specifically called out People Are Strange, said, yeah, I wish all of this, I wish his whole catalog could have actually been like this. But then also like just ribbing him a little bit. And I think, you know, I think that's fine. I think there's room for all opinions. Yeah, I think Lester Bang started the original roasting, you know? <laughs> kind of did. He's the OG roaster, for sure, for sure. Um, no, I totally get that, yeah. Um, you know, I did some research myself just from from rock critics, and I found, critics, excuse me, and I found a uh, an article from the Wall Street Journal, and it was, an, it was titled, uh, Why Have the Doors Remained So Popular? Um, and quoted in this article is, and I may be saying his name wrong. I believe it's Grile Marcus. Um, he is talking about how, uh, the doors were known for their provocative concerts in which the music was less of a factor than Morrison's dangerous behavior. So definitely, you know, Morris, uh, you know, Jim Morrison definitely, played that stereotypical rock God, as we would know, right? Like he was like, you know, boozing, doing crazy things on stage. He was a spectacle. Um, and one example that this article talked about was a, an incident, incident in 1969 in Miami. Morrison uh, taunted the audience and removed and threw into the crowd a police officer's cap. Um, yeah, that's a big deal. You don't do that in this, <laughs> you don't do that now, but I mean, can you imagine back then? Oh my gosh. And then, uh, reportedly members of the audience took their clothes off at Morrison's prompting. So Jim Morrison was a very sexual, very handsome man when he, when he started. So a lot of people were just wooed by him. I get it, but I, I don't know if I would strip on command for him, but, um, yeah. So the live shows were something else. Um, on March 5th, the Dade County Sheriff's Office issued a warrant for Morrison's arrest, claiming he exposed himself while on stage. And the article just continues to go on and talk about all of the, um, you know, the tactics and uh, shenanigans that would happen. Um, but he is uh, 
Grill is quoted by saying the doors were involved in performance art at a time when people were not using that term. That's interesting. Performance art. Think of Iggy Pop when I think of performance art. I mean, Homeboy cut himself on stage. Okay. I didn't, I wouldn't sign up for that, but it, I signed up for the music. So yeah, it was performance art, whether it was bizarre or not. You just didn't know what was going to happen. So the Doors is definitely just one of those bands that um, is out there. And if you're experimenting and trying to find different types of rock and roll, you follow on the Doors and you especially hear people are strange, you're going to be kind of hooked in. Um, it That's just, that's just definitely my opinion. And uh and Stephanie, we have our own history with the doors for sure. So I'll let you kick that off. Yeah, I just thought about the different memories that we associate with the doors and just kind of our own history with them. Uh, I was thinking I used to, I think, be a pretty big fan when I was especially younger, particularly their self-titled album. Yeah. I loved all that. Uh, Crystal Ship, I think, was my mm. favorite. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Alabama song, which is really great. And I think that was... That was one of my favorites, and I played that a lot. Uh, I will say to what we've to what we've alluded to here that over the years, I found some of the pretension to be sure. a little much. Uh, couldn't listen to them at the same uh, you know cadence that I used to, but I still yeah. appreciate how like what they were, how they brought this new sound to the scene, how they looked at lyrics in a different way that had been approached at all, right, by the industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They incorporated metaphysics and philosophers, and no one was really doing that. And I think Jim knew it. He knew, okay, we got something special here. Yeah. And to your earlier point, Steph, I also appreciate their rebellion. And to me, that was epitomized when uh, Jim was told not to sing the line, girl, we couldn't get much higher on Ed Sullivan yeah. for Light My Fire on the Ed Sullivan mm-hmm. show. And he very brazenly did it anyway. And after that, Ed Sullivan asked him to never come back. And you can find that clip on YouTube. I thought it was really funny. And Jim, if my calculations were correct, like did all this at age 23. So it's just like, I don't care. And then, uh, you know, we're talking about aesthetics. I'll just say, you know, I appreciate Jim's like full leather look um, on that parent's just uh, aesthetically, I appreciate that. Like, I understood yeah. rock and roll. Like, he understood the visuals of rock and roll. And he looked good mm-hmm. while doing it. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give him props for that. Yeah. He knew how to play the game. He knew it was up. So, Jim, hats off to you for sure. I still absolutely 100% love The Doors. I definitely get where you're coming from, stuff. Like, I can't listen to them in, like, no, like regular cadence like I did when I was younger either. Um, I just definitely have an appreciation for the bad boys. Always have, always will, but that is rock and roll, right? And uh, another uh, song that, you know, I definitely resonate to and I will jam really hard is Break On Through to the Other Side. Because to me, that's a heavy song. And that's just got a lot of energy. And, and I was like, hey, after People Are Strange, that, you know, and Riders on the Storm, I listened to Break On to the Other Side and that was it. <laughs> these dudes are awesome. And, you know, being from California, you hear the music, you can definitely feel kind of like the surf vibes. They're not the beach boys by any means. If, if folks ever heard the doors, they are not, not going there, but they do have a little bit of a California vibe. And I love listening to the doors when I'm at the beach. Um, that is something that I do, um, for sure. And, uh, you know, Stephanie and I going through our history, our friendship history, we've had 
numerous conversations about Jim Morrison in general, and especially around the fact that he was called the Lizard King. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't just like say that with a straight face because it's just ridiculous. It is. Right. It is. It is. And, uh, you know, and that's definitely part of our bonding was talking about um, how we learned the history of the doors, how we were introduced to them and just laughing that Jim Morrison thought he was the Lizard King. I was doing some research, of course, to see were the origins of this. How did this come about? And uh, I found an article from 1971 uh, from in Rolling Stone. He had an interview. Morrison had an interview. And I'll just go ahead and quote this. Supposedly, he stated that he chose the nickname because it was catchy. Okay. He thought it was ironic and simple. So people would quickly get used to it. However, he didn't think fans would come up with theories questioning his sanity. So there was a lot of like, what the hell, Jim? What is this? Um, (laughs) So funny. It's, it's just, it's out there. It's out there. Um, and he's also quoted in the article to say, I meant it ironically, half tongue in cheek. It was an easy thing to pick up on. I just thought everyone knew it was ironic, but apparently they thought I'm mad. Dude, come on, man. I mean, just put it all together, you know, his, uh, you know, his onstage crazy and all this. Of course, people were like, man. And if there are people that just, really respected and were die hard and just felt that Jim was a God. He's definitely one of those quote unquote rock gods. I mean, people were stripping for him. Come on on command, you know? So people were totally into this guy. Um, And I remember Stephanie growing up, you couldn't go any, you know, like to Walmart or to Target and not see a Jim Morrison poster. Absolutely. Yeah. Everywhere. Totally. And even in the in the Lost Boys movie, they have this little cave and they have a gigantic poster of Jim Morrison in it. It's like, you know, he's just an icon. Um, just an overall badass. And so um I, I enjoyed those conversations, man. We just just laugh and just talk about him being the lizard king. It's it's good shit. Um, I actually was really lucky um, in uh, the early 2000s. I was able to see Robbie Krieger, who is the guitarist, um, so the awesome. guitarist for the band. Yeah, man, I saw him and it was just him. Like he was just touring solo. Now he's still performing, which is amazing because he is elderly. Um, you, you know, and he's, he has a band called the Soul Savages. And so if they come around my way, I'll definitely check them out. But when I saw him that night, it was at Antones, the original Antones. And I know you've been, Stephanie. It's a historic jazz club, blues and jazz club in Austin, Texas. And man, I mean, he he did all doors. There was nothing that was, I mean, he didn't do any Robbie Krieger originals. It was just the doors. And I was like, wow, just so captivated. He did the lyrics. He brought in somebody to play the organ. I mean, because, I mean, that's how, like, amazing The Doors was, too. I mean, who brought in organs in music? The Doors did. At that time, I wasn't normal, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So, yeah, like, he just really captured, and he played so flawlessly, and... I, I was at the front. I was like, I don't care. I'm just going to stand right in front of his feet and just watch him play. And it was amazing. It was such energy. Wish you would have been there with me, man. Yeah, wow. That's so cool. It makes me wow. think, did you remember it was the crowd pretty, do you think original Doors fans? 
Yeah, yeah. So the crowd itself, too, was cool because it was definitely all ages. At that time, I was in my early 20s. So, um, you know, you had to be at least 18 to get into the show. And there were 20-somethings and up. So, but you definitely could sense that there were some folks who were like, yeah, these are, this is my band from my day. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Um, So very, very, uh, feel very uh, fortunate to have seen them. But, uh, you know, just to kick it back a couple of years before my early 20s, when I was in high school, my junior year, um, I took a radio, television and film class and I chose to make my own music video of People Are Strange. And uh, <laughs> this, of course I did. And then again, it circulates the fact that, you know, going back where, you know, Stephanie and I are saying, you know, when we were younger, we listened to The Doors a lot. Hell yeah, we did. It was, um, it, it just really, really... <laughs> no pun intended, but open the door for us to find, to listen to experimental rock. Cause that's what it was. Um, so it's like, yeah, cause we were, you know, radio was king, but you weren't hearing the doors on the radio stations that were targeted for our generation. You'd have to go to classic. And then at that time I didn't have all of the, um, the interest in all classic music like I do now. It was the doors. that was really one of those bands that really opened up my eyes to uh, different types of rock and roll. And uh, the music that, the music video that I did, I, you know, now knowing it was about him being depressed, I just filled it with stupid human tricks. Like I was like, okay. So I went around, I was like, who can do something funky? Like this guy can blow bubbles out of his mouth. So I filmed him. I literally surveyed the campus and was like, I'm doing this video for RTF. Um, do you have like a stupid human trick you can do? It's going to be on People Are Strange. You haven't heard the song. It's oh, the man. Doors and I love that. Yeah. I just found anyone with a stupid human trick and that's what it was. So wish I could dust off that VHS and find that gem and relive it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, dying to know what our talk tuners, uh, their memories with the Doors, I'm sure they have them. Um, their legacy lives on, man. So um, according to the RIAA, the Doors have sold more than 35 million records in the U.S. alone and 100 million worldwide. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn. They're a big deal. They are a big deal. That's amazing when you think about it. And to your point, they keep proliferating over these decades. And that's what I think a real legacy is and the mark of a real legacy is that they can transcend things after their passing. Because as we alluded to, uh, Jim did sadly die very young. Yeah, He passed in 1971, right after that Rolling Stone article, that interview, and he passed at 27. And Talk tuners may have heard of uh, the sad club called the 27 Club, and that's uh, folks who have died at 27, usually musicians. Uh, mm -hmm. Other folks who are members of that very sad club are Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse, and many, many others. And all these folks are people who created this massive and worldwide and lasting legacy before their passing, but left mm -hmm. the earth at 27 and it's really it's kind of even hard to wrap your mind around right it's really insane when you think about it 
Yeah, yeah. It's like, what? What? Um, I, yeah, I can't even put it into words other than just being like shocked every time. And, you know, Stephanie, something that, you know, um, I learned while I was doing research for the show that Robert Johnson, legendary blues, you know, player, founder, one of the founders, one of the great founders, he passed at 27 and he has an interesting, interesting story with him too. Um, but I, I don't want to derail them, but adding at, to the episode, but adding, you know, another important music figure, another important artist who's with this club. I don't know what it is about 27. It's, it's creepy. Completely it's creepy. very strange. Yeah, it's very strange. And to think he did all this before passing at 27. But as we were saying, the legacy lives on. There was the Oliver Stone movie, mm -hmm. The Doors, and Val Kilmer played Jim Morrison. And it was a huge movie that revived yeah. them in so many ways, even though they had been present on the radio and in other places, but the interest peaked after that movie and it mm -hmm. was in the works for over a decade, as I'm understanding it, just kind of went on forever trying to get this made. And the fun fact is even wow. John Travolta, uh, yeah, was briefly considered for the role of Jim. And I just think, man, that would have been a weird, weird <laughs> movie. I hope talk to you see my face. Cause I'm like, for real, John Travolta. Can you Anybody imagine? Want to see John Travolta as Jim Morrison? Get out of here, no. man! Val Kilmer killed it. He owned it. I he swear. Did. When I saw this movie, I mean, this movie came out in '91. I saw it later after. Um, I didn't see it in the theaters or anything, but I remember watching it and you know, definitely developing my my taste and uh, for different types of music, and just watching this and being so captivated with Kilmer's performance. I and mean, he, I thought he was Jim Morrison, like. Oh my gosh, like it was so easy to watch this and just think that, you know, I was actually watching live footage of this guy's life because every little thing that I knew, it just came, it, it just, it was wonderful. His acting was just so on point, man. Definitely check out that movie for sure, guys. That's a good one. Um, it's definitely, it's a, it's interesting for sure. Um, man, Steph and Top Tuners, I had a good time talking about it, but we, we got to wrap things up. It's about that time. And I uh, want to thank you uh, for me personally for tuning in as always. If you enjoy the show, you definitely want to check out our brother and sister podcast available on the Pantheon network. That is our, we are a proud member of the Pantheon network. There's definitely a lot. There's someone for everyone on that network. If you enjoy music podcasts, check it out. Definitely big fan of everything over there. And just want to say again, thanks for connecting with us both here listening and connecting with us across social where we are Stephanie's mm -hmm. Talk Tunes on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Stephanie's Talk on Twitter. We would love you to do us a very small favor if you can. If you're enjoying the show, if you'd consider just sharing your favorite episode on your own personal social media. We would love that. Word of mouth goes a long way for us. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate it a lot. Yeah, stuff. That's uh, definitely. Um, all right, talk tuners. Well, it's been real. Um, I got to break on through. <laughs> Stephanie. Right. It's been you. Bye. Myers here. Bye, guys. See you in two weeks.
What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.